Inescapably foreign. Welcome to Without Borders. This is a podcast for expats, nomads, immigrants, or just anyone else that feels inescapably foreign. I'm here again with Keaton Jackson. If you missed the last two episodes, I recommend you just go back and listen to what Ke- uh, Keaton and I were talking about. Just quick summary. We were talking about some of the differences uh, between France and Canada and also some of his experience living in Australia. Uh, Keaton has traveled to many different places and he's t- currently getting his piloting license. And today we decided to bring on Dexter Dockerty. Uh, Dexter is an Oxford graduate who moved into social policy and strategic foresight. We'll get a little bit more into his work throughout the podcast. Um, and remember, if you are an English learner, make sure to check out withoutborders.fyi. You can access the transcripts there. Also, we have a bunch of different articles there, with one of which Dexter actually helped me out with. That's the one, uh, Social Media Alternatives. So check that out on withoutborders.fyi. All right, guys. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. Thanks for having us. No problem. We got beers here because we're just not used to seeing each other without beers. <laughs> it's natural. <laughs> All right. Well, Dexter. Um, you're a little bit late to the podcast because you were in um, a nudist sauna. Was <laughs> he nudist? But, hey, it's a cultural experience. So, with with women and men, right? All it's all gender. And I think and how how was it? It was comfortable and relaxing, uh, except for there was one point I started kissing the person I was with and then uh, somebody started touching them. So I wasn't, I wasn't sure if that was normal. What? And I was the only one who could see it at the time. And so uh, I wasn't like, I was, it, I was, it was totally, totally new experience to me. I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do at that point. Um, so I kind of just played it cool because I didn't want to look like, I was, you know, I had to like, act like you've been there before in, in my head. So I didn't want to look out of place. Um, and eventually she noticed and was like, that's fucking weird. We're believing. And then other than that, it was a wonderful experience. Talked to a bunch of really chill old people who live cool lives and know how to relax things up now. So I feel wonderful and super relaxed. Wait, I got to ask. The guy was like, it was a guy who was touching himself or a woman? Yeah. Yeah, dude. And it was like full on, like he was just masturbating? It was stuff, but you can kind of tell what was up. Oh, God. Just a, 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 a subtle tug, subtle tug. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. And it's been a death. Would you go again? Yeah, I mean, this is a lot oh. of experience. I think the other, de- once you get to know the community, you can kind of know who the cool ones are. I mean, like the reality is, like it's like being in like dreams and things like that. If you, there's always going to be creepy people, and if you don't know how to behave in the space, you're more liable to be like bothered by those people, kind of thing. Um, so, if, you know, I knew... Well, you're saying this is a cultural experience. So is, it, is this a French cultural experience or is this more a subculture thing? I, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not privy to comment on that. By cultural experience, I mean, I was surprised. <laughs> Keaton, have you ever heard of these when you were like... Uh, no, I, I do remember when I was living in France, I was actually looking for like a spa and the only one in my neighborhood was oh, I, I don't want to misquote it but it was like i think it was a it was like a pleasure house essentially <laughs> it was like i read the comments and 
It was uh, right beside Rue de Commerce, Dexter. It was, um, do you know Rue de Commerce? It's in the 8th. No, yeah. Uh, no, it's in the 15th, sorry. Um, and yeah, it was, I, I didn't end up going there because I, yeah, the comments are like, no, don't go here if you want. If It's it's not an actual legitimate uh, spa treatment. Yeah. My one was an actual legitimate spa. There just happened to be that. <laughs> with with was... the side of people touching themselves. <laughs> No, 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 a single person. <laughs> One person did that. But there's, right. there's weird people. At, I don't think there's a higher preponderance of weird people doing stuff at any specific place. Yeah. Well, what do you guys think about the freedom of nudity in France versus in Canada? Like, Well, you guys know me. My family's from Belgium. So when I first came to Canada, my parents were just shocked about how um well just not down with nudity people were right like my parents would change me on the beach because i was a little kid and they thought that was normal but apparently it wasn't that normal especially in like a conservative small town like vernon maybe it's a little bit different in vancouver um but then when i'd go to europe you'd see a lot of people nude on the beaches and it was just normal and then you kind of have this idea that french are also more sexually liberated but I don't think that's the case. What What do you guys think? Do you think that? Defer that. One. Uh, go ahead, Dexter. Really? Me Me first. Oh. Yeah. Uh. Uh. I mean, no, I completely agree. I I guess even for Vancouver, like, yeah, if you were not or not me, I don't include myself in that because I really don't give a shit about uh, public nudity. I think everyone should definitely have the should be if they want to. They shouldn't be ashamed or like, or scared to to be nude. For a second, I thought you were gonna say everyone should just be nude. <laughs> wow, if if you want, like, if you want to walk around nude, why should that be a problem, right? Yeah. Um. But yeah, in Vancouver, we only have the one. It's it's like illegal. It is illegal if you are nude on a beach other than uh, than Rec Beach. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. My my initial impression is. And what about sexually? Do you think? People are more sexually free in France than in Canada. Well, I never had the opportunity to be a single man in France, so I don't know. From my one experience trying to court a French lady, it was <laughs> freaking Mission Impossible. I'll say that. <laughs> Clearly, I did succeed, though. Both, yes, we were, but, uh, we were both in wedding. It's a Mission Impossible. Happily <laughs> <laughs> married. The hardest. The hardest game I've ever had to play, I can tell you that, but the only French lady I've had to chase. <laughs> well, that's one quote I wrote down from Dexter, too. is like, I speak French, but not pick up stranger at a bar on charm alone kind of French. <laughs> I was thinking, like, screw C1, screw all those certifications to see if you can pick someone up at a bar, then, uh, then you're good. Then you're fluent. Once you know, once you can do that, Dexter, then you can, uh, yeah, then you're... Then you're really fluent, as you said. Yeah, so I hate that. I'm curious what you think about this. How how has it been for you, the flirtation life in in uh, France versus Canada, or just the, the sex life? I don't think it was that substantial. I think I've become more comfortable with myself through the time that I've spent in Europe. And I think that there's actually just a whole bias towards the people enrolled in new places, right? I think if you're someone who's high openness to experience and being around places meeting lots of new people, you get into interesting adventures and things like that. I think if you're not pushed to move around too much, 
it can be hard to open up to a lot of things. I think a lot of that sort of, hey, life has to be lived a certain way does come from a lack of meaning. There's probably an opposite extreme of that of some of some people who don't move around a ton, who just need some spice and some wildness thrown into their life and jump into those things. Um, and then I think the other part is, you know, when you get to just the larger the city that you get to, the more pockets can happen just because it's a benefit of the scale of the city and things like that. So I don't, I don't know. And then, and then when it comes to things like nudity and stuff like that, I think we forget a lot of Canada is pretty cool. Right. There's a certain amount of, I hadn't, I don't know how much I whip it out amongst one. I definitely haven't done that once or twice in June for a dumb drunk adventure. Uh, it's, uh, it's not something to do with Gary before you start seeing the potential risks of the SS Johnson. The SS Johnson. Is that, is that what you call it? That's, that's just. <laughs> And we got, we got this name for different eras and from different people and whatnot. I think there's a general expression for it. I got, no, I don't, for my opinion, it's the SS Jones. That's weird. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Dexter, you're also a little bit more in the, the expat scene, right? Do you think that's one of the reasons that you feel like there aren't as many differences because you're surrounded by expats no matter where you go or are you kind of getting more into the parisian community now quite yeah my, my life has been pretty mostly expats i think the the nature of, of working in international organizations is that you're a big mixture of people who are diverse in terms of the countries they come to often not all that diverse in terms of the types of degrees and places they did their degrees um you know it's a lot of people who reasonably healthy family backgrounds with a, you know, enough money to be affording and supporting education. That varies a little bit country to country, but not a ton. Um, no similar mm -hmm. looks on how to support various various causes they care about and those kinds of things. But, uh, you know, by and large, I think if you're in, in sort of international circles of expats traveling around, the, there tends to be a, a certain type, you know, it's a little bit more extroverted, pretty high openness to experience um, people who make friends fast and, and have to and but also have to get pretty good at saying goodbye to people because you're you are all moving around um, i think it's been a nice experience mm -hmm. a year or so as covid started to settle as i started to feel like i wanted to commit to paris be in one place for longer than a year at time which i hadn't done in a while um that you start to make a different effort deepen those friends friendships and relationships and i'm gonna see how that expands over the next you know, year or two um but yeah, I, I don't know. And I, you know, I, I mean, I, I, je parle assez bien français pour l'anglais fun de Vancouver. So I, I, you know, I, I, I can make friends here. I have some French friends. I think very often the end is that I'll have a friend, a French friend who will speak better English than I do French. So if we're one on one or with my friends, we'll be speaking English. But if I'm with them and their friends and their partners, then I'll be able to switch and, and be comfortable in that space. I do notice mm -hmm. I'm a little tired out of that, right? I'm having, having to think a little bit more. Um, it takes it, a little bit more effort to be funny and whatnot, but, uh, yeah. it is, it is mentally like not so much for me anymore, but I remember like that first year that I was living in France and because I wasn't part of the expat community. So my everyday, like I didn't speak English or I spoke English with my wife, but, but like, as soon as I stepped out of the house, it was just. French, 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 which was good. Like I sold, I totally appreciate it. Now my, 
like now my French level, I'm hundred percent fluent. Um, yeah, of course I make grammatical mistakes and everything, but, um, it, that first year was super mentally exhausting to just like, like you said, it takes so much more effort to, to be yourself. Like in that first year, I wasn't Keaton, like it, like my personality didn't come across, um, in French during that first year. And then after in that second year that I lived in Paris, like that's when I really started to like, if we were out with a group of friends at dinner or whatever, I started to be able to crack jokes and like, you know, I could kind of like take control and steer the conversation, like how I would do kind of in English and like be able to, to, to have that kind of input is, um, really, it's actually, it was really quite satisfying. Like I, I definitely noticed it happen kind of like, it was almost like not on the yearly mark, but like that second year is like, whoa, like I noticed a huge difference in, uh, in my capability and in, in communicating in French. It was nice. And do you guys feel that you have a different side of yourself when you speak French? Cause I know talking to a lot of polyglots and people who speak multiple languages, they say you kind of have to develop a different part of your personality, right? Because obviously culture influences how your personality is and language influences culture. So you kind of find new parts of yourself. Yeah. And for me in Spanish, like I'm, I'm doing that a bit, but mostly I just feel dumber because right? I can't explain myself quite as well. And then personality wise, like I'm starting to get the humor and everything. And I do feel, um, I don't know, maybe a little bit less analytic, a little bit more like when I'm in a group, it's more about feeding off of each other. And I feel like in English, it was just a little bit different. Like I felt more independent and I feel a little bit more in like an interdependent person in Spanish. Well, uh, but what, what's it been like for you guys? Well, for sure you have, I guess, multiple, like with each language would, I guess I would ask you cause Spanish is your third language, Nolan, but what about in Flemish? Like, do you have, cause like Flemish, cause I associate it with family. I just feel a little bit childish. Like okay. my, my Flemish is fluent, right? I can make jokes. I can speak about anything. Uh, but I feel a little bit awkward talking about taboo subjects or sex and everything like that, just cause I'm not used to it. Uh, mm. well, I mean, I've always, my parents have always been free, right? I've been able to talk about sex, but you don't really make the quite as, as crude jokes and stuff like that. Yeah. Like for me, I definitely, I don't know if I say I have, cause as I was saying, like I kind of became more myself in that second year and now I'm more myself when I speak French, but to kind of touch on the personality thing, Marie and I, we communicate in English, even though we could totally communicate in French fine. Um, but it's so weird when we do speak in French, cause it's like, we started, we got to know each other in English. And so when we do speak in French, it's almost like two different people are yeah. talking. It's like, that's not our, our relationship isn't speaking French to each other. It's like, it's, it's weird. It's weird how it is. It's like, not, it's not Heat and Marie. It's like two different people. Well, that's interesting. So how is Marie, your wife different when she's French and when she's speaking English? Um, I think. Well, actually kind of sometimes now I actually get a little bit, um, not annoyed. That's the, not the right word, but, but like sometimes I learn stuff for the, cause we have a pretty big group of French people here, um, in Vancouver. So when we go and hang out with them and see our French friends, we, of course we speak in French, but I, sometimes I learn stuff for the first time about like how Marie's work week, week went, um, when we're with her French friends. 
even though I do ask her how her work week was and she responds in English, but she doesn't tell me all the details, whether that's like a language barrier or whatever. So like if sometimes it's just like, yeah, I, I discover new things whenever we're with French people because she, of course, she's more comfortable in talking in French. So she... Well, I I don't know about in for French, but I've noticed that in Spain, it's much more culturally common to complain, right? So in Spanish, I hear people complain a lot. And I notice like I start to complain a bit more in Spanish don't, than I do in English. And that's a big difference in my don't reality. Don't even get me started. I think that must be a European thing, man, because the French, <laughs> all they do is complain. It's like small talk for them is complaining, which is... It's a cultural thing, I think, but yeah. they definitely complain a lot. Like just, just like at the dinner table, you would just complain about your day or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th I think it's similar here in Spain. The difference is that French people complain and then do something about it in protest and Spanish people complain and then just don't <laughs> protest. <laughs> What's Maybe some big generalization. I mean, I think the reality is I've spent so much of my time with people who are very critical thinkers and academics and things like that. It's hard to see in that circle regarding yeah. where you are in the world. It's kind of be upset and critical and mad about stuff and complain about things. So I, I don't know. I, I can't personally speak to anything like because it's just been consistently across the board. That's, I don't know what people are supposed to do in academia. Be like, oh, it's like, this sucks. It should be better. Why are we doing this? Let's theorize about it. Yeah, good point, Dexter. Like, you want to oh, well, go with... Yeah, Dexter, I, I do want you to expand on that because you you sent me an, uh, an interesting message kind of related to this as well. You said, our ideas about cultural differences exist so people can complain about where they are um, or, their, or fulfill their... Um, Superior, superiority complex, right? Yeah, what do you mean by that? Is this kind of connected? Yeah, yeah the, what I what I wanted to get at with that is I think, especially when we talk about national level, like Europe to North America kind of differences, I think they're mostly overblown. I think there's it's a bad unit of analysis. I think there's really good regional cultures and things like that, so hyper-local, I mean, even neighborhood level kinds of things. But I mean, I, in, in terms of where people are, I think there's greater similarity between people in Vancouver and a mid-sized French city, certainly New York to Paris, greater similarities than either of those places. And like you drive three hours outside of those cities, it's unsuitable. Like how similar is Vancouver to St. John's, right? And, and, and there are big, big multiple differences at those kinds of levels. Um, you know, there might be a little bit within those things, but I don't know. I think there's a lot in terms of trying to how we group countries and as if there's unified culture across those things that I'm not really that big of a believer in. Um, I think that there's some hyper-local identities that, are, that to me jump out as the most interesting, the most useful to talk about. And then there's just some weird agglomerations of groups and things like that that I'm not a huge believer in. And I think they do exist just so you can either sit around and say, oh, everything sucks here. Why isn't it better? Like in for, for North America, it's all it's like in Europe or, you know, how many, if you're an ambitious person, friends like, oh, in America, I'd be able to go get jobs and make a billion dollars and create a cool startup or whatever. Um, and, or, or the reverse exists where it's a, it's a, it's a means of fulfilling your, your arrogance, things like that. It's like, oh yeah. And so look, think about how, think about how lucky we, like everything else over there sucks. Um, and but, I think those things. But don't you. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I didn't mean to cut. You. I didn't mean to cut you off in terms of that. But I mean, don't you think those generalizations are created because there is some type of truth to them? 
Maybe. I mean, it depends on which ones. Um, I think I do. Yeah, of course. There's, there's, there's some truths different to say than they're, that they're vastly exaggerated. I mean, this is where I mostly come at is I think I, I see this a lot. Um, I see it a lot now with Europeans and the way they talk with the United States. Um, and, you know, there'll, there'll be all this complaining. There'll be a lot of sort of frustration and condescension because you'll look at what you'll see something on the news that comes out of like, you know, deep South Alabama. Um, and, and where those things come in as if that's representative of the entire hyper-diverse country. And the United States is the same size as Europe, has nearly the same population. There's a huge amount of diversity to that. Um, and there's a whole lot of idea of like what Europeans are that is mostly actually a conversation about urban Western Europeans. Sometimes it's Northern, sometimes it's a little bit of South. But, you know, when you talk about Europe and are you including Hungary in that conversation? Because some of the, like the, the views and the values there um, you know, we don't use Hungary's views as representative of when we have a conversation about how Europe thinks. But very often, the perception in something like the United States is a is not necessarily the, the views of the people that I've been the most with from a lot of those places. And that's still definitely for for the experience of a lot of people moving around a lot of the circles I'm in. The, the differences do kind of disappear, uh, or not entirely disappear. I just think that they're exaggerated. I think most of my point on this the sort of national level cultural things really aren't really as significant or if you map out how large the differences are you know maybe the similarities between like you know a little more rough and tumble neighborhood in paris and new york closer than either of those to the richest suburb or neighborhood in those cities let alone you know paris to like small towns in the south of france or whatever the equivalent is within canada or the united states yeah. Definitely. But I think it's important to distinguish when we're talking, like what you're talking about, I think these generalizations come from kind of a flawed rhetoric that could be pushed by certain political ide ideologies or just certain people that are pushing these, these ways to differentiate between people. But of course, there is a lot of research in cultural psychology that actually show some of the differences that people think right and this is important to understand because of, of course when you go traveling you want to be sensitive to the ways that people think especially with um like therapy or something like that right and i mean there, i've mentioned this in a previous episode but when um when uh some workers came to sri lanka they used a lot of therapeutic methods from the from north america and that just didn't work in Sri Lanka, right? Because they just have a different belief system there. And then in those cases, it's important to understand the differences. But I, I completely agree with what you're saying with these generalizations. Yeah, and I want to jump in here. The, the statements I make about cultural difference being exaggerated apply to the differences between basically like Western countries. You know, I would count Australia, New Zealand, Europe, uh, and Canada, the United States. I, I don't know the Mexican context. The weird countries, right? Western, educated, industrialized, rich, democratic. I never heard that. Uh, what acronym? Yeah, it's an acronym. Um, it's about like how, I don't know, like 70% of the research gets done in weird countries. Um, and then 90% of that research is from university students. So a lot of the things that we think about people or that you see in the headlines is actually just from middle class to upper middle class westerners right and that obviously does not reflect the world psychology <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay well 
Dexter talking about generalizations. <laughs> Here's another good quote. I just have so many Dexter quotes. <laughs> if you are living in Paris and it gets to you emotionally that a waiter or person at the post office is a dick, you should leave. <laughs> so obviously there's a generalization about the French that they're a little bit sour in Spanish they say it too like que agrio um, do you think this is a little bit true when it comes to the post office then and, and servers or what's been your experience with this you can comment about living in Paris I'm not going to generalize France I don't know the rest of France but in, in terms of these things um, yeah look so I the way I thought about this is that uh, to make this maybe not a little less just talking shit and make it slightly intellectual um, I, I think that anywhere you live is going to involve some kind of um, and you've got to put in the rep, like you've got to decide what kind of work you like and what kind of energy and trade offs you have. I use the example I have a friend of mine who lives out house in a small, in a fairly small town. And, you know, I visit once in a while for like a couple of days. I couldn't do it more than two or three, but he's like it, but it's beautiful. It's super relaxing. There's all these wonderful things that come with it. But the, just the day to day existence is a certain kind of work. You know, you got to clean the bow and you got to take care of all those kinds of things. And the work inherent to living in a big, like big, busy, hustle and bustle city is that people are busy and don't have time and don't have time for your shit and occasionally they're going to be rude right i mean that's and that this is where you know like my my understanding of like new yorkers being tough is the same kind of thing as you know don't don't waste people's time and that that just means that you can't expect the same kind of patience and politeness people are people are moving around a lot Mm -hmm. um but that's that's it the the work inherent to living in a big intense city like paris so you're going to be the Somebody's going to be mean to you once in a while. Have thick enough skin to deal with it. If you don't like it, go somewhere else where you like the work that's inherent to that. I don't know. I mean, like for any, he'd probably speak to that. He's in a long-term happy relationship. Any, any kind of relationship you have is going to involve work. And that's going to be the case with your relationship to where you live, the place you live, the city, the house, whatever it may be. You got to just get yourself in a position where you like the trade-offs inherent in that and the work involved with that. So personally to me, I get excited about it. I think it's a fun cultural experience when a waiter just gives me absolutely the dirtiest look and it's like, just treats me like I'm useless. Like, yeah, that's what I'm here for. It's a humbling experience. It makes me a better person. <laughs> that's, I think the important, um, or one of your keywords that you use there is trade-off. It's um, at, at what point when you were putting in all this work, do you need to see the trade-off? Like, do you need to reap your rewards? Because um, is at, like, at what point do you make that call? Like, oh yeah, I've been here for two years. I'm putting in so much effort, so much work, and I'm not seeing it pay off. I mean, that, at least that was my experience in um, in in France. Not, and I love France. I we will Marie and I will most likely end up back in France one day. But like after two years, you're just grinding 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 and you at least i just felt just stuck like i felt like i would was not going to be able to advance uh my life or live my my life in the way i wanted to to live so i just thought like what do you like what's what's your trade-off like how are you how are you finding um your you've been there for almost three years now over three years right not not quite actually it's uh two and a half and then i spent five of them teleworking from spain um, so it's a little, a little bit, we'll see. And one of them, you know, the first year was very COVID-y, so it, it, it didn't feel like I, it felt it was a very different experience. It's why you can be wide and wonder anyway, but I was ready for the change of pace. I liked the alone time there. Um, 
I have found the experience good because there's a big city energy that I appreciate. I'm in a work situation I like. All of the all all the positives are taking out. I've made some good friends. Mm. And I was lucky with those kinds of things. So you know, any of these things, the gamble and the like, upsides paid mm. on. On the on the other side, I think I came in at a time where the the humbling parts of this were really good. This is a this is a, an intense and humbling city. It is big enough, and because I'm not, I don't have uh, pick someone up in the bar on charm alone kind of French. Um, I I'm not as important here as I was in other settings in my life, right? You know, you could you could be a big name on campus in a small university town. You can you know in Montreal you can build yourself up in those environments to a point where. You know, you walk to, you know, people, you're going to walk down the street. Someone's going to know you're, that you're going to, you're going to walk into rooms and a large number of people are going to either know you or have an impression of you based on the fact of how other people react. And there's so much anonymity to a place like Paris where I'm part of a very small bubble. Um, I'm, I'm not as confident in the, the main language spoken as I am in English. And so I think that's really good. I mean, I think I came in with a big ego. I think it was a good time to come in. If you have that foundation of, sense of self, openness to experience, and you can kind of, uh, you can rely on your resilience to sort of get hit in the mouth a little bit and come out better. Um, but that's very different. And if I was a stage of my life where I was having, you know, deep mental health troubles, if I, if I, if I, if that, if I wasn't comfort, if I, my, my relationship to loneliness was different than it is. And I think there's some, some that I think about a lot of, so there's sort of an axis between how much you want comfort and safety versus uh, new experience. And I, I value new experience really highly. That just comes at the expense of certain amounts of people building you up. If you're on your own, people don't know how, like they're not gonna get the same kinds of supports until you crack in, until you build that space. And I pray that. And so, I, so I've enjoyed that. I think the, the I, so thing, yeah, straight to the back. The work I do here is work I enjoy. I, I, like, I like the downs, I, I like the twos in this place. Is a, I think it referenced to some other things. I can True, but Nick, so let, let's be honest. If we think about your situation, right? Like you, it's true that you have to throw yourself in these new situations, and um, I'm really happy to hear how humbling it, it is. But you're also very privileged in the case that you have a a cushy government job, right? Like you didn't have to go through all the same paperwork that the rest of us do when we move to a different country, and it was a little bit more of a an easier process, no? Or am I wrong in saying that? No, that's absolutely true. Like, occasionally I get a little bit of like, oh, I'm going to have to you know, whatever. But like, the, <laughs> on, on the whole, the systems are totally built for me. And there's a, there's a certain amount of like, I think it's a standard to expect of this is what it could work like, should work like on all this. I moved to a, I didn't, I didn't move to a developing country. We go very developing, a very developed, vibrant place with enough expats going. What do you mean by the pretty- systems are built for people like you? Um, well, I have the European passport also helps with that, but um, this, this systems are designed to have weird people move around, right? The, the, the we need, we want to have, it's valuable for governments, organizations around the world and, and global business or whatnot to have, um, you know, people, pe- people who get educated, contribute fun ideas or whatever, move around places. And so they make it really easy to do that, right? It's, it's the advent, all, all the countries are competing to steal away those kinds of people and make it a hassle for everybody else, right? And there's a, so I'm- Well, maybe you're somebody, maybe I'm both of you guys' it. ideas. I, um, I'm interested by what you said, how the system's kind of built for weird people being able to move around. And that's something I wrote about as well and something I want to kind of achieve with this project by people sharing their stories of immigration. 
is to kind of change the system where weird people, the Western people are able to move around easily. And then people who actually need to move around um, have to go through all this bureaucratic shit. Um, and you work in bureaucracy, Dexter, and I think you're yeah. living proof that not all bureaucrats are <laughs> demons. <laughs> Some of the bureaucrats are wonderful yeah. people. But let, let me well, I, 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 your ideas on how to change this. Um, well, I think part of it is having people who have some of that experience involved in design processes. And I'll, and I'll say, say this one. They're one of the things that was a wee bit of a hassle is I had to get to get into sort of healthcare systems here. I had to get a original copy of my birth certificate sent from uh, sort of Vancouver City Hall or whatever, translated into French and then notarized the KDMs. Um, that's a hassle. For yeah, that's normal. To pay 50 bucks, but like all fine. Um, and a huge amount of like, that's totally unnecessary. But if I came from a country that yeah. couldn't easily translate documents into French because they had the official language or somewhere where I couldn't just send it, you know, have my dad or, or me or because he was closer to, you know, go and pick up documents from City Hall because we have a foreign relationship to a stable government. Um, that's that's a system that's designed to be institutionally racist. Now, Canada will have similar equivalents of that. I'll never run into that in the Canadian system. It, it Yeah, I, I'm never going to confront that. And so it is a problem when you design bureaucracies to deal with immigration and nobody has any idea what it's like, what it would be required to go through those things. So there's a fair amount of user-centric design is some of the, the, the buzzwords they use in government now, but thinking about what it would be like to use the system, building bureaucrat bureaucracies and teaching bureaucrats, empowering bureaucrats to genuinely be empathetic. And that's part of the problem, right? These things are inherent because they're faceless. And, and, and then all of a sudden, anybody who doesn't fit a fairly narrow box of who we expect to be moving around the world um, is going to fall through cracks. And I've gotten to see little bits of that in fairly tolerable ways by virtue of moving between countries and things like that. But by and large, that's light years apart from what is designed to keep people up. And then there's a matter of interpretation. Is, that, is this the system deliberately designing itself this way? to keep people of color, people from poor countries out? Or is it a matter of it, these things were just designed by with ignorance because somebody didn't have awareness of those experiences? Um, and I think that you can you could go a long way to fixing those things by having people who had some lived experience of these difficulties articulate what kinds of supports and help they need. And I think especially as technology starts to advance, the ability of government to uh, automate a whole lot of the back-end bureaucratic processes and things like that is fine, and they need to invest more in some of that face-to-face -face help you through this help you through the system kind of thing. They, I mean, Nolan, you'll know this through through your experience of trying trying to move it to Spain. Like the reality is, if you were if somebody's wealthy enough to afford like a lawyer taking through the process, it gets a lot easier, right? And through all of these kinds of things, and that's it. So if you have an institution that thinks you're valuable, that you know processes tons of people moving countries. They'll pay for the support staff to do definitely, and so that's really where this thought I come through. Is let's we dive in that more into that a bit that. further. So Dexter, the last thing you mentioned, like you mentioned that the way that the bureaucratic system is set up, especially when you want to immigrant immigrate to a new country, it's much easier for Westerners, and you also mentioned that it's harder for um, countries where people come from and they're people of color, right? But I think it's not only people of color that are put at a disadvantage in the cases of, well, Ukraine. I mean, my partner, she's Ukrainian, 
and she has gone through the same struggle as many uh, people of color from a third world country have to go through when immigrating to a new country, right? So I think it's important that when we're trying to fix this issue, that we don't only look at visual minorities or like people that, um, yeah, people of color in this situation, right? We have to look at the country that they're from, uh, the socioeconomic background that they're from. Otherwise, you might end up in a situation where people who don't seem like they're visually at a disadvantage and still are at a disadvantage don't get the um, benefits of certain affirmative action type things or policies that might come into place. What do you guys think about this? I wouldn't fight that. I think the case I was trying to make before was not that it should um, create smaller buckets on these kinds of things or use big proxies like that. I think you should be designing systems that can be responsive to who people are on, as an, on an individual basis and give every person the mm-hmm. capacity and the ability like to give their best shot to say, hey, how can we help you the most of this? Everybody wins when you make this process as seamless as possible. The reality is we only make it seamless for a very small number of people and it tends to be wealthy and right. educated. Uh, and I think those, and then and then beyond that, and there's a ton of passport for those. And for sure, like, and just to add another, just to add into that, like, the immigration process should not be determined by what passport or what color your passport is or what the 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 name on the front of your passport is, right? Like every single person, as you just said, Dexter, uh, immigration should be looked at honestly as on an individual basis, case by case. In reality, it shouldn't just be generalized. Uh, oh, I come from Canada, so I have access to uh, essentially every, almost any country I want would like to go to, like, it's super uh, simplistic. The, the the system is designed so we have to go through very minimal um, paperwork. Whereas, like your partner Nolan, uh, just I don't know if you've mentioned in previous podcasts, but just to come visit us in Canada, it was rejection letter, and it took a freaking war in Ukraine to for her to get a a visa under a refugee status to come visit like that's just ridiculous just because she came from comes from ukraine i know and we're talking about a person that speaks several languages is well educated never committed a crime and for her to be treated like we do like like a human there had a war had to break out in her country which is just sickening about our system and it's obviously so flawed and we need to figure out ways to fix this um, now, one one person or one organization that I know that's trying to to create an online country is uh, Plumia, and Plumia is um, um, a project that and their parent company is Safety Wing. Are you guys familiar with Safety Wing? I'm not. So Safety Wing is an insurance for nomads. Um, and I read about Plumia. I wrote an article about it as well. Uh, it's a country funded by an insurance company. And, uh, I think a lot of their goals, like if you look at their mission statements, they look great, right? Like the, the idea is to give people who have these passports that are at a disadvantage, the ability to be able to get this passport from an online country, right? And then from there would be much easier to travel. But the thing is, they're just developing this right now, 
And the only thing they can think of is that to get this passport, you would need to have a certain amount of money or a certain income, which again is systemically flawed. So how, how could we fix that? How are you asking how we can fix? Yeah. Like how, how could we create either an, like an online country with a different passport, or maybe we just have to stay away from that. Maybe that doesn't make any sense. Right. Dexter, I see you kind of like mm, frowning here. Do you think uh, an online country and like having this passport that is apart from physical countries is a bad idea? Well, sorry, just to say one thing is, is the problem what, like, should we be trying to create a means of travel so everyone is able to travel freely or should it actually be the responsibility of governments for example canada to just just why do we even have these restrictions in the first place like mm -hmm. why why is there why does freedom of movement not exist on a greater scale than just in europe like what i i don't actually know but what are the what are the down uh the pros and the cons of just opening up the borders per se and just letting people move as they wish would that have negative impacts on the economy would it i i'm not sure but mm -hmm. i think those are more the questions we have to ask instead of trying just to create a workaround um uh, a new fake passport or whatever it should just be it could just be much more straightforward and you could have uh freedom of movement in more countries available i think Definitely. And that's what a lot of people have responded to me as well. When I bring up this gloomy idea of an online country, they're like, why don't we just expand the way that Europe does it? Right. Like there has been, um, talks that, uh, I think it was Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and England were going to kind of start their own group of country whatever you want to call it i guess those are common those are commonwealth countries currently but they were going to i think there's the idea floating around that they wanted to open their borders and have a freedom of movement of movement agreement between them which i think would be a really great idea but i don't know if that will actually come to fruition or not mm -hmm. um, yeah yeah i tend to agree by and large with these versions um i i think the you know you can try to find your hack workarounds to an existing system but reality is um, we should be made, like the, 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 the current system should be expanded. How significantly is a whole matter of experts to figure out on those kinds of things. I think there's far too great a risk of that mm -hmm. the existing system, then I think we can push it a little bit more. Now you are in almost inevitably, if the more you expand, you have a few more people hacking that system. But I think the net benefits are there. And, and so how I'll leave that to experts to figure out exactly how, but I think this is the kind of thing where people like us should apply the right kinds of pressure to see those systems expand and to allow more people to get these things, right? Um, Europe's Erasmus system has been phenomenal for building great cultural ties between people getting to go travel and see things and all that. So again, that's something that's a privilege afforded to reasonably Europeans getting an getting a post-secondary education. Right? And Dexter, what are some kind of ways that we could apply pressure? Um joining organizations, signing petitions. I think there's a certain amount of um, finding how to medicate for these kinds of things. Um, I just think that you're about building important ties between countries, right? If you were, you know, if you're a member of a political party and you can build stronger ties between that 
equivalent political party in a different country and start to push for those things, right? If you're in journalism, I mean, you're doing an interesting example of this here, right? Where you're able to build a conversation that goes beyond the country, country context. Um, and I think that starts to build an awareness of the degree of similarity. And that returns to what I made at the very beginning of the first podcast. Most of this is similar. Most of what I see in these situations is similarities between people. So the, the, the fewer barriers you can put up between people and being able to hang out with each other, being able to integrate, being able to fall in love with each other, being able to be friends and all that, the better. And you should have to have a far better justification of each step um, in order to put up barriers. I think that's the issue that we run into here is that in most cases, you have to prove why you should remove a restriction as opposed to justifying why a restriction should exist on free. And so I just like to flip that conversation a little bit. I think that happens as people start to push harder and harder to say, we want greater degrees of integration. We want that. And I think there has been a failure of uh, progressive rules to be as loud on these kinds of issues of we, we are we are similar. We want to be integrated in other cultures and populations. We want to be friends with these people. We want, we want a degree to like, we want to be able to go to the same schools and things like that. Um, and I think there's been a loss in, you know, that the, the other side has been louder. I think it's the job people to come in and say, no, like we like this. And I think that's, that would show itself in the degree to which younger populations by and large do like getting low people from different backgrounds and we're open to different people, different experiences, diversity included. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Dex, thanks for bringing that up. I think that's a lot to think about. Also, anyone listening right now, uh, if you have any ideas, remember, join the community at FY, uh, at withoutborders.fyi so we can discuss this further. Um, I'm by no means an expert on this, but as Dexter said, we have to raise our voices when it comes to this. We have to put pressure on the, the government bodies. Um, now, Dexter himself, he, he works in strategic foresight and social policy, right? So... Um, Dexter, just to expand on that a, a bit further, um, do you think protests are a good way to go for this? Or do you think it's better to do this more with petitions and things like that? Both and, but um, by, by and large, protest is a fairly effective means of getting done what you want to get done, right? Um, mm -hmm. Look at why Quebec has cheaper education. They've been willing to fight for it. Um, you know, I think all of us grew up through an era of teacher strikes and, and lockouts in BC, uh, but British Columbia has one of the highest performing education systems in the world because by and large people will fight for it. Um, you, mm -hmm. you get you get what you organize for. Um, and I think by and large, that means if you're willing to push and fight for things, um, that happens. And you know, this is this is never a question of oh, which specific tactic works. I think it's more a matter of building the ecosystem where there's enough people fighting for a cause through different tools and methods that those things come through. Um, so that Martin Luther King quote about how riots are the, you know, the language of the, the silence to the unheard, not sorry, butchering out a little bit, um, but by and large, um, if the only means available to you is to, to well, like protest and break stuff, then that's the only means available to you. Um, but I'm not going to uh, condemn for the most part, most means of this kind of advocacy and protest, I think people should be given the opportunity to to push. And if if, this, if that's if that's coming out, then the state has failed to provide those people with the ability to advocate for their ideas in the reasonable form. And it is I, I I'm a firm believer that the state has a responsibility 
to provide the kinds of forums for discussion of ideas that lead to those kinds of positive and progressive changes. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Keen, anything you want to add on my end? This is about all I can unpack here. Is there anything else you want to add, Keaton? Uh, you know, I think what I, I mean, I totally agree with what Dexter said. And I think protesting is definitely, I don't think here in Canada, we do enough of it, especially like when you see in France, certainly in France, uh, they protest for anything. And I think that's actually good. And um, I think, yeah, when, if we want real change, we, we have to, we have to be willing to fight for it. All we can do is we can c continue raising awareness by doing our podcasts and, uh, and you by writing your articles. Um, but by actually demonstrating and, uh, showing that we're willing to fight for it, that's how, uh, that's how we can, that's how we're going to get change. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, let's bring this a little bit in a different direction because um... there have not been enough jokes. That's that's what you're saying. I'm a little too heavy, bro. Like, yeah, the episode was way heavier than the last one. By the way, if you tuned into this episode and you need something a little bit lighter, tune into the first one. <laughs> we were shooting the shit a little bit more. <laughs> this got a bit heavy, but no, good. Um, but it's interesting because uh, Keaton just differentiated between the protest culture in France and Canada, and then Dexter also differentiated between the different protest cultures within Canada, right? When we compare Quebec to British Columbia. Um, you well, guys that's, that's France, man. They they consider them some, themselves French, even if they don't have a French passport. So, <laughs> Well, that was going to be kind of my follow-up question, is uh, from your guys' experience, because you guys know way more about this than I do. What's the difference... Uh, or what if what are some cultural differences, similarities that you've noticed between France and Quebec? I was about to say Quebec in the real French, but <laughs> I thought better of it. <laughs> well, you just said it, so <laughs> well, I had to get some jokes in there, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, Dexter, you live there, so you should you should probably go first. Like, I, I, I do have family there. I've visited several times. Um, I love it. It definitely does feel like a a, a, a European corner of uh, of Canada, um, but that's about as as far as I know of, about it. Um, Dexter, the Europeans, the Europeans would feel that it's far more North American European place. I think it's a nice place in between. Uh, For sure, it's hard to get decent gluten in in France. I think it's disappointing. Um, <laughs> that's a real um, Actually, this this gets one important thing. Um, I, I I do have a belief that Paris is the best like upper middle class food city. Um, it's phenomenal, you know. They, 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 they look, but it's hard to get like cheap food. Whereas, I, Vancouver and Montreal can do some very good like cheap drunk food, and so you know you pick up some of those things, um, and that's where Putin comes in. I think that's well, if, <laughs> if you want to actually talk about food for a quick second, um, Harris has an amazing, or well, it's widely regarded as the best food city in the world. Um, but I do you think I actually think that's overrated. I disagree <laughs> completely. What? As in, which is the best food city in the world? Wait, sorry. What? Do, what part do you? Yeah, I think it's overrated. Yeah. No, definitely. Okay. But of course, that's so subjective, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. When you and I are both people that love a really eclectic mix of food, right? We love a lot of different Asian type of food types of food as well. And then, yeah, as the texter mentioned, like, especially in Paris, it's just, it's, it's hard to get cheap eat. Yeah. 
but yeah. it does have great food but um not i would say it's not a it doesn't have a very diverse like there, of course you can get any style of food but it's i would i would argue that vancouver has a more diverse food scene than than paris mm-hmm. yeah look i, I think that the advantage of anyway like why why london's got great food scene it's because english food so oh, yeah Life. And so the reality is, we're more open to other people coming in and telling you how to do this. Because it's a good look, way of you know, putting it. We we know how to make food. They're let's say, you know, you're a fucking clown. You don't know how to make food at all. So all and and they had to stay open. I mean, giant colonial empire. But a bunch of people came in who knew how to make food and made food there and did it really well. It's so like the national English English, probably Indian, right? Like there's a whole bunch of right, and, and I think there's a certain amount of France is very good at. A, a pretty wide range of food. It's not great vegetarian food, um, but it, and, it, and it tends to be fairly expensive. But there is a very high quality old cuisine here. That's why so many of our food words are French. Like they really, they do come to play as undeniable. But there's but you're fine, you know, to, like outside of many... Paris, the food is a fair is affordable. If you go to the smaller towns and you, sure. I don't know what they're called, but you get like the the menu, right? Um, and then that's that's usually affordable. You can get like for. 18 euros kind of like a three-course meal and a glass of wine but i am also talking about eight years ago so 18 euros with the inflation these days probably 30 euros these days <laughs> oh no it's and there, i mean look i think there's a difference there it's uh it's a three-course meal but there's an appreciation and the willingness to spend on cuisine you know, you're going to sit down for two hours you're going to have a conversation you're a good nice bottle of wine that comes out that bottle of wine's going to be far cheaper um, but but there's a certain amount of there was an established food tradition and uh, that it didn't exist right or didn't nope. exist to the same extent right and so you you're just not displaced. Nolan was it? It was you. It was your um, Eros de de Guiri. I can't Spanish. Eros de Guiri. Um, you did a steaks of Guiri. One of uh one of your little sketches was um, kind of playing on the how the when the Europeans come to North America, they get kicked out of the restaurant because they haven't ordered yet, or there's they stopped ordering. And then, um, I that's yeah, one thing about North America is it, as soon as you stop eating or ordering food, your bill's on the table with and the machine is in hand. They don't let you just there's no table culture, like it's just you go to the restaurant to eat and then you leave. Whereas which is so nice about France or Europe, actually. Is there a word for that in French? Because in Spanish, we call it sobre mesa, like on top of the table, right? So after you eat, you in Spain, you still sit at the table for another four hours. Yeah. Just talking with one beer. Yeah. Right? Is like, there a word for that in French? I, I am. Not, I would have to ask Marie. Um, okay. But yeah, like one time we, we have a family dinner and the family dinner would start at seven o'clock or whatever. And you wouldn't leave the table. We didn't leave the table till midnight. <laughs> Like, yeah. it's so nice. Yeah. And does that exist in Quebec? Well, um, I mean, it depends, right? Like, I, I, I integrated in a sense similar to what I did here, right? With a pretty international bubble of young people, things like that. It's not, it's not a representative sample of those kinds of things. Uh, yeah. You know, a little bit there, I think Montreal has, I mean, I've like, a dishwasher a few times and some nice restaurants in Montreal. Um, it's got a really great ability to have very interesting chefs come in and open some cool restaurants and do some really cool work um, because the the real estate's cool and there is a commitment to innovative innovative cuisine Dexter I think you had mentioned and I'm going back a couple of years now but I think one time you had mentioned that 
Montreal, in your opinion, wasn't a city that people stayed in. I thought I think you had said it's like a city where people go, but they don't, and they they start the careers, but they don't end up finishing their careers there. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do remember that. I I would probably die when the water got a little bit for the sake of not getting myself killed and anything that's going too public. But um, yeah, but by and um, I think the city of Montreal has three hundred thousand college students. And and so that means a huge portion of the population. You know, it's, it gets regularly voted one of, if not the best, student cities in the world. Um, but those people don't all stay. Um, if you're if you're if you're Quebecois, but you're highly ambitious, there's more money to be made outside of Quebec. If you are an Anglophone and you don't speak great French, there's a there's a ceiling on your opportunity. So there's a certain amount of people who just flow out. Um, I mean, Toronto is a massive beneficiary. Quebec range rate, right? People go get educated in Montreal. Eventually, they've been there for five or six years, four years or whatever, and they go back and the jobs are available for a while. Um, one of the reasons that Canada should believe in, you know, transfer systems between provinces is Quebec has been subsidized and the ability to go get the useful cultural interesting experience, bring back those experiences to other cities in Canada. And I think Montreal has been a massive beneficiary to the rest of the country because you get people who went and lived interesting parts of their lives and take these experiences back and commit to making it um mm-hmm. yeah i think i think by and large there's a lot of transient young person population to montreal um and that has its pros and cons um, but it, it's a hard place to stay to, if you have certain kinds of ambitions or linguistic ability. lack of lack of this what kind of ambitions are difficult to achieve in montreal um, I so yeah, you know, let's anecdotally let's talk about doctors. Um, if if uh to to be able to function as a doctor in Quebec, you probably want to be able to serve clients, um, which limits the pool of people that can work. But given oh, that things like language wise, it's difficult to achieve certain things. Well, no, there's another T off this though. If you're really good in oh. French and English, you could work there. But if Alberta's like we're going to pay you twice as much, we're not the tax. Mm-hmm. Then you transfer back on those things, and that's that, that's very rarely included in the Canadian conversation about transfers between provinces and things like that. Is that economically there are big transfers between provinces? Um, Ontario is probably the biggest beneficiary of that sort of cultural brain drain out of that. The Americans are as well, um, and so those are there's a flow between the country that that I think is important. But yeah, you're you're a lot of your Montreal population is there for a little bit. It's a city designed around people being young and finding themselves. There are lots of also, people who stay successful, but a lot do need. Also, just why this is so fascinating as well for the listeners that don't uh, aren't familiar with Canada, uh, Montreal's the second largest city in Canada, um, and by like quite a wide margin over Vancouver, which is the third largest city. So it's just fascinating that you wouldn't necessarily be able to I guess, well, I mean, of course, sorry, I shouldn't say wouldn't be able to, but you can if you want, but it, it, it's it's interesting that there's a kind of a cap on um, how high you could rise potentially or what your career um, opportunities would be when we're talking about a very, very large city, um, second largest in Canada. So that's kind of just wanted to add that for the listeners, but um, yeah, perfect. Well, guys, thanks for sharing all of that. Is there anything else you want to uh, add about Montreal or about some of the cultural experiences that you've had in Montreal versus in France? Because we're just coming up on the half hour mark here. So 
I inject a few more dumb hot takes because we've been lacking in depth. We've got to up the supply of dumb hot takes. Um, All right. Let's also on my firm belief that cultural differences are exaggerated. I have a firm belief that all great cities smell like pee. This is important. This is an important factor you can probably track out. I don't think anybody's done empirical studies. When I think of great global cities, like and I, all of them had, you know, there's enough fun stuff going on that you know people were moving between fun places or you know they had a few too many drinks or whatever and they peed on themselves. And so you've got to deal with that. And I, I made some points in the first podcast on the book what the work is entailed of living in a high energy intense place. I have a limited definition of what greatness is, but, you know, high energy culture setting places where people are pushing the envelope. Probably going to smell like pee. We probably have some pets too, but definitely <laughs> when I think of great city, you know, Montreal smells like pee, uh, Berlin smells like pee, Paris smells like pee, New York smells like pee everywhere. Um, and that's that's part of the vibe. That's the trade-off that I have with these things. <laughs> Dexter just stepped off the plane. Oh yeah, this is this is going to be an interesting city. <laughs> Keita, what about you? Uh, anything to add? Uh, no, I think we touched on the on the Montreal thing. I think I don't have anything more to add. No. Let's just finish off with one more because um, Dexter, you told me something that I found interesting, and you just didn't expand on it. But you mentioned how Pierre Elliott Trudeau said the best thing to do in Ottawa is to take the five o'clock Friday bus to Montreal. <laughs> what does this mean? Well, I so I I lived in Ottawa as well as one of the one more dull places I live, but I I think um, it's it's but not dull places or adult places. Well, um, so I think let's let's. It, I'm going to be careful, but I think that, I mean, that quote is bang on. And Pierre Trudeau, you had a, you had a joke, right? You know, some of his politics I agree with, some of them I think he cooked out a little bit better, but, you know, man of his era and whatever, um, was hilarious sometimes. And so that point about the best thing in Ottawa was the five o'clock Friday bus to Montreal, was that if you want to have a fun time, it's not the right place. And so my, my understanding of, uh, okay. um, well, but at a certain point, right, if you're, if you're married, you have kids, you have a dog, you know, you might have your cottage out in the, the countryside, like, or um, like as, as Ontario, you know, what middle-class Ontario people do or whatever. Um, you don't, you, you, the auto is not, like, you, you're living a kind of life where you can't get bored of the five restaurants and the eight friends, right? Whereas you're a, you're a single person living around, like I would get bored of the eight friends that I have in Ottawa and the five restaurants. Um, and, and so when you're ready to make that second, Dexter does not generalize, right? Fine. <laughs> no, seriously, you could look this up. There are not more than eight restaurants in Ottawa. There's, there's like, like if there's, there's a bunch of Subway's McDonald's and, uh, whatever that coffee shop is that they have there that isn't uh, that on top of the Tim Hortons. Um, but then up that, like, there's about, like, there's access to nature. It's a place to be in four Starbucks. There's really interesting work. Uh, no, it's called Bridgehead. Uh, they have a bridge. I don't think it made it outside auto. They do have a couple of unique things there. Um, by and large, like there's enough. If you've got an interesting work and a good family structure, you can make enough work there, and you can build. You can leave the city and make all of those kinds of things work. But why? Why do I personally want to do the work of living somewhere that smells like pee? Like Ottawa doesn't smell like pee. Um, so you know, it's a it's a place. And if you don't like the smell of pee, that's the place for you, man. But if, if you want, if you want more than eight bars and five friends, or five friends and eight bars, I'm not really sure at this point. The numbers don't matter. Um, <laughs> if you if you want to be able to do that, um, and like you're going to have to put up with the smell of pee, you're going to have to put up with the Raiders being a dick, and 
you know, you find the trade-off that works for you. And if the water was not thing, like, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's the boathouse thing or living in the, the rural countryside, I think we do have to do a lot more manual labor on your house to make your living work. You just gotta, you gotta pick the work that works for you. Perfect. All right, guys. Well, let's end that there. Just uh, <laughs> on the note that if you want to go to a great city, it's got to smell like pee. And uh, Dexter is an Oxford gradu- graduate, so obviously he knows what he's talking about, right? Pissed all over that place. Pissed <laughs> <laughs> all over that place. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And all the listeners right now, I hope you tune in next time. Remember, this was Without Borders. And please subscribe to withoutborders.fyi. Tune in next time. Too much going.